0: back to the keystone kickoff show brought to you by new trail brewing company new trail beers are brewed right here in central pennsylvania and delivered fresh and cold to your favorite retailers every week when you're in happy valley be sure to find new trail at wr hickey and other craft beer retailers hello and welcome to the keystone
1: kickoff show i'm jim galanti along with andrew p shake Andy will be here quarter one through quarter three. And yes, we are going to get back on the Ask Andy train. So looking forward to that in quarter number three, Andy. Quarter number four, one of our favorite guests, Nate Wilmot from For the Bloggy. He's the one who does the great statistical analysis articles. We got a fun article ...that he put out just this week that we're going to talk about. And our show, of course, is brought to you by our friends at New Trail Brewing Company. Brewed right here in central Pennsylvania. Delivered fresh and cold to your favorite retailers every week. You know what? Your biggest dilemma is which of their many options to select. When you can't make a decision... I recommend the Hoppy Variety Pack. That's New Trails Hoppy Pack. It's an absolute crowd pleaser. Great variety. Packed with four different Hoppy beers for everybody to be happy at your tailgate, your campfire, or wherever you gather with your beer drinking friends. All right, Andy, it's time for the news. Let's start as we usually do with the rankings. Again, not the most important thing in the world, but this team is gone from unranked to 22nd to 14th to 11th now they're up to 10th. They're a top 10 team. Again, I think they're about right where they they should be.
2: Yeah, particularly based on, you know, their schedule and who they've played. Um they had two really tough road games and at Purdue and at Auburn. Um and I know Auburn's struggling, but that's still a tough road game and it's in the sec so there's there's some q factor for that right they their two toughest games were both on the road they won them both that carries you know that carries a lot of weight when it comes to you know ranking they're in a familiar position you know for the veteran players on this team you know they're 5 and 0 they they're off this week they're on the bye but they're getting ready for a road game against a fellow unbeaten team. You know what I mean? Like, it sounds like the road trip to Iowa last year when they were a top-five team, and they played Iowa. They were in a really good spot, and it went the rest of the season went south and sideways. So their most difficult football is in front of them, but they are in, you know, a really good position as they get ready to take on that. And they enter the bye at a at a perfect time for them. I mean, you could not have picked a better bye week for this football team than to to have it right now after the five-game stretch before they tackle their most difficult part of the schedule and it's all in front of them and they deserve to be ranked where they are.
1: We're going to get to the bye week in a moment and the first uh a couple personnel issues In this past week, we saw tackle Kazai Izzard for the first time on the field, and we got the announcement from James Franklin that defensive end Smith-Vilber will actually be out for the season. Uh, He didn't call it an injury, and when it's a season-ending situation with an injury, he will usually say so, so I'm assuming it's some off-the-field issue. Disregarding what the issue was, Let's just talk about the effect on the field. How important is it for Kazai Izard to be back out there, and how much does it hurt that Smith Vilbert will not be back on the field this year?
2: So it's it was really important. I'll start with Kazai Izard. It was really important for Penn State to get him back. Like PJ Mustafer has been doing a yeoman's job work. You know, you could kind of tell he's he's healthy, but he's not like you know, like 100% hair on fire healthy, but he is still a productive man in the middle. I think Hakeem Beeman has elevated and played extremely well in the inside as well. Cause I, Izzard was the guy last year that kind of stepped in when Mustafa went out and sort of held the fort down. So now they've got three solid options at the inside in a, in a spot that hasn't been trouble for them, right? Like, it's not like teams are gashing them up the middle and they're lacking, you know, any quarterback push or, you know, pocket impact up the middle. So I only think it helps them, and and it's, I think it's a real bonus for Penn State going into this, you know, three-week gauntlet they're about to go through that he comes back. Losing Smith-Vilbert means absolutely nothing because, you know, he flashed in the bowl game last year, okay, you can flash in one game. He's not out for the season, but I don't know if he was if he was available. I mean, with Adisa Isaac, Chop Robinson, you know, you got Nick Tarburton, who keeps getting better and better at, you know, sort of what they are, you know, put him in position and want him to do for this defense. He is quietly getting better and better and better. And of course you got the freshman, you know you know, Deny you know, Sutton, he's he's getting snaps and, you know, having an impact here and here and serving the, and playing in the role. He's defining his role as a true freshman, as a true freshman defensive end. He's sort of defining the role that they can use him in, and I think they have a clear picture of what that is. So those four guys, you know, for a, a, a position on the defensive line that was a big question mark, right? Like it was a huge question mark going into this year, Jimmy. You had a decent coming off an injury. Okay, you knew Chop Robinson was a high end recruit that had played football at Maryland the year before, but lost Arnold Abikidi, you know. You were getting in a freshman, you know. Was was the prospect of a combination of Nick Tarburton and Smith Vilbert and, you know, a coming off an injury of Deesa Isaac, that wasn't going to worry anybody in the Big Ten. Now they've got some impact players that have stepped up and come through, and Adisa Isaac keeps climbing a little bit at a time and a little bit at a time. And Chop Robinson has been exactly what, exactly as you expected him for a high-end recruit. It's the reason he left Maryland. Wants to put his hand in the ground and rush the quarterback. Doesn't want to play outside linebacker in a 3-4. And I could see why. Because <laughs> that guy gets after, and has pocket impact. So I think they're really good at that position. Him not being, uh, Smith-Vilbert not being available for 2021, or 2022, excuse me, I don't think it impacts the defensive end or this roster at all. all
1: right, Andy, let's talk about this bye week that they have coming up. Uh, we'll talk in a second about what they can do in preparation for the upcoming gauntlet, but the coaches are also going to take advantage of this time to get out on the road recruiting, right?
2: Yeah. Oh yeah. They, they are, they are going to, they're going to be, I think they're going to, even the practices that they're having during, you know, the, this week, not game week next week, but you know, in this past week, it's probably been a little thin because they're out Jimmy, they are out and out recruiting and, that's another reason to buy weeks they got a ton to sell right now I mean they really really are gonna be hitting it hard and they would be hitting it hard anyway but they have so many uh, little presents that they can you know drop on recruits as they go around you know so many freshmen playing so they can you know they like hey you come in prove it' we're, uh, that you know we're gonna give you opportunity you prove yourself you're playing. Nobody can argue with that. They have offensive line spots that are going to be open in the future. Linebacker spots are available in the future. You know, they're showing that it doesn't matter if you're second on the depth chart and you're an elite D back. We're going to use you and play you if you show yourself to be good enough to be available to be on the field. They're showing all of that stuff. So, at that, and especially at that position, you want to keep that you know, the defensive backfield, you want to keep that position talent rich because they shown that they can move guys to the NFL and develop them at those positions. So they have a ton to sell out there. I don't know what they got to sell at the running back position. And I still also believe that they have opportunity at quarterback as well because I just see one of the three quarterbacks behind Clifford, not Drew Aller probably, Um, I I see one of the other two is possibly transferring for an opportunity to play. And the most likely, obviously, is Christian Bayou. But, you know, if you're uh, an elite quarterback, we're going to give you opportunity as well. They've played Drew Aller this year. More than they did at any other time during James Franklin tenure, a quarterback got in the game. So they have a ton to sell on the recruiting trail.
1: I only think that they also have something to sell at running back. I realize they've got to two freshmen running back, but they've been rotating three guys in Andy and they've showed they're willing to play you as a freshman. So if you're an elite running back, it's still probably not a bad place to go. And to be honest with you, the way the NFL works, I'm not sure coming in and being a workhorse, getting 25, 30 carries is your best route to the NFL. If you've got the talent, they'll spot it. And I kind of like the way Singleton, Allen, they've been getting 10, 15 carries a game. That's plenty to show what you can do. Let's now get back to on the field with this bye week, Andy. And the last two weeks give you the impression this team has a lot that they can work on in practice. What would you like to see them work on leading up to Michigan, Minnesota, Ohio state.
2: So I think they need to, whatever they were doing, you look back at the film of the five games and you look at your third down offense, whatever you're doing and your plan and your play sheet and your call sheet and all of that are for your third down offense. I think it all gets evaluated and possibly a large part of it needs to be scrapped. They need a new plan on third down and, and, and that that's not saying they're changing their offense. That just means they need a new plan on what they think can work and what they think is effective because they've been, you know, almost, you know, like they've been really bad. They've been bad on third down. So it doesn't matter third and long or third and short. Your third down percentage tells you, you know, what your conversion rate is. I think they need to scrap what they were doing through five games, not like blow it up, but I mean, look at it in that micro detail and figure out work on what we want to be on the third down offense going forward, because it's, it's problematic enough that, you know, obviously, you know, we know the definition of sanity is keep doing it the same way. So I really think that's one of it. And I think they need to, I think they need to work on the, on the deep passing game. You know, I I just think they're not getting those 20 and 25 yard chunk plays, unless we're getting a good big yards after the catch. So I think the deep passing game needs to become a little bit more of a weapon.
1: Personally, Andy, I would like to see them work on these are the things that Sean Clifford does well and emphasize those things. I'd also like to see Sean Clifford be a threat to run the ball. Just be a threat because I think that will open up things for the running backs also. Andy, that's it for quarter number one. Stick around. We got a lot more to get to. For daily coverage of the school, team, and place you
0: love. We are Tech Results, located right here in State College. Whether it's workstation, server and network installation, problem solving and maintenance, security assessments, or general evaluations, we are your complete IT partner. Learn more at techresults.com. That's T E K results.com. Or call us at 814-206-0000. Welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by New Trail Brewing Company. New Trail beers are brewed right here in central Pennsylvania and delivered fresh and cold to your favorite retailers every week. When you're in Happy Valley, be sure to find New Trail at W.R. Hickey and other craft beer retailers.
1: Welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I'm Jim Galante, along with Andy Shea. Andy, a good time to remind the folks. Bye week this week, then it's at Michigan, then a couple huge home games. The uh, whiteout game against Minnesota the following week, Ohio State. I talked to our good friend Mark over at GoPSURV. He has just a few spots remaining at the RV lot for those two games, the whiteout game with Minnesota and then the following week with Ohio State. If you want to have a fun way to spend those weekends, give Mark a call at 800-519-8467 or check it out at gopsurv.com. It's a great way to spend a weekend in Happy Valley. You just drive there. RV all set up and waiting for you. You get a ride in and out to the stadium. You don't have to worry about uh, parking hassles. It's a great way to do the weekend. All right, Andy, this quarter, I want to go a little bit off track. You and I, we don't wait for the show to talk to each other. We start texting during games and <laughs> relaying our thoughts, and it's always a lot of fun Uh and you and I went back and forth quite a bit this last game against Northwestern. And there were two big topics that we talked about, like everybody else. We were talking about the running backs and we were talking about the quarterback. So I'd like to do this with you on the air. Let's, let's start with the running backs, because I know you had an interesting take on it. But first of all, it's a different running back room than we anticipated. Noah Kane left a year ago. We know that after last season. Preseason, Keziah Holmes left. And now Devin Ford is out. I know Devin Ford didn't get a lot of playing time. Let's start with him. But I thought he was an interesting weapon to use on third-down situations. He was also back there on kickoffs. And a reliable veteran. Uh, I'm... I'm not surprised, but I'm disappointed that he's not with the team anymore.
2: Yeah, I'm not disappointed that he isn't. I mean, I think he he if nothing else was a different option for them at running back. And he was sort of a obvious passing third down back, and plus he was a body, right? Let's just say what it is. He was a he was an available body that could play in a game if it got to that dire straight. So, I mean, but the choice for him to say, he's just going to focus on academics and he's, he's done playing football, kind of saw the writing on the wall and, you know, stuck around and, and grew up and gave it his best shot. And he just, he couldn't make, he couldn't crack, you know, what he wanted to do, which was get more consistent carries. The guys in front of him were just better. And,
1: also, I found it interesting that James Franklin, well, he, he did this to uh, focus on academics. Let's be honest here. He he only had four games in this year, so he could turn this into a redshirt year, get Transfer. an extra year of eligibility elsewhere. And there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing nope. wrong with that nope. at all. Let's talk about the guys that are that remain. Singleton, Allen, and Lee. And we had a situation, it was terrible weather, Andy, but Nick Singleton, he not only twice he lost fumbles, but there was a third fumble that they say the whistle blew, he was already stopped. That's not good, but we had a situation where James Franklin sat him after those fumbles. He didn't come back to very late in the game. Was that a punishment that fit the crime?
2: I, I didn't think so. I I was, I mean, he had, you know, over, I think he had over 90 yards of total offense in the first half. He had a touchdown. Um, You know, I, I understand, you know, ball security is important, but it's not like Penn state has had a ball security issue in the first four games. And that situation on that day, that was, that wasn't just wet weather. That was deluge rain. That was like, you know, like, you know, oil on putting, you know, grease and leather on the ball. It was atrocious pouring rain. So I didn't think the punishment fit the crime. I mean, I was I'm more I was a little concerned about the message that you're sending to him, which I thought was a bit harsh. I mean, he's a first-year player that doesn't didn't have fumbling issues now in an, you know, in a, you know, difficult situation, which is wet weather. He, he's, he puts the ball on the ground. Your message is, well, you put the ball on the ground in my backfield, you sit. And I'm like, okay, that's the message. I mean, there's no other way to to do it. I mean, Katron Allen didn't play in the first half, but he did in the second half. So that tells you it was a discipline issue. doesn't, that's fine. That's, that's fine. Um, but the message that I, I think was pretty clear was, you fumble my football, you don't get on my football field. That's the message. There's no other way to, to look at it. I, I don't know, possibly could have the fact that Catron Allen was doing good. He did a great job in the second half, right? He carried the load, didn't score a touchdown, but he carried the load and and was a productive back in the second half after sitting the first half. He fumbled too. Kivon Lee fumbled too. So, you know, it's the very first time they've had fumbling issues, you know, ball security issues from the running back position this season, and it was in a deluge. That's an extreme circumstance that didn't seem like that really was taken into consideration. And I, I just am concerned about the message that Nick Singleton received.
1: And I was also a bit concerned about I didn't see it until the replay. Watching James Franklin was absolutely livid on the sidelines. He went all Brian Kelly on us there. I that's outside James Franklin's normal image. I don't think that was a good message either. I'd much preferred him, you know, come over, put his arm around Nick Singleton's shoulder, and talk to him that way. I think it would have been just as effective. Let's move on. This led to one of my questions then about the quarterback situation, Andy. If you're going to have a case where a turnover by the running back earns you a spot on the bench for a while, I was wondering about the quarterback position. When you make—interceptions can happen and the ball gets tipped. Different things happen. But Sean Clifford's interception was a bad one. It was a bad throw, thrown across his body. Just every, everything was wrong on that. If you're going to punish the running back for turning the ball over and have him sit for a couple series, should you do the same thing at quarterback?
2: Well, I, I don't think anybody should have been sat for turning the ball over in that situation, but that's, that's just me. But, I mean, Sean Clifford, you're, you know, 6th year, 24-year-old, you know, you have sort of hitched your wagon to this guy, you know, as your, as your quarterback of preference, you know, in many times in many situations. So yeah, it was, it was a bad throw and he made one other bad throw against Purdue. You know, that's two interceptions. I don't know. If you get two interceptions out of your quarterback in a, in five games, you're looking at four or five, you know, picks a year and he's pretty much playing the lion's share of the snap. So I don't think that's a bad number by any stretch of the imagination. So I, 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 I just think Sean plays by a different rule because he's your quarterback and he's been there for six years. That was what I saw. I mean, I wouldn't be yanking anybody. I, As much as James, you know, when guys score a touchdown and make a big play, you know, you can see him. He's patting him on the head, and he's he's talking to him and, like, you know, really getting in their ear. And I'm like – and maybe he did it. We just couldn't see it on the cameras. I mean, you were there. Maybe you saw it. But I'm like, after mistakes, you got to be doing that as well, especially with a young guy. And, you know, I don't think he's going to, you know, get in Sean Clifford's ear about making – you know, one mistake and, you know, I don't know. It's a very, it was a very confusing message day for me. I was, I, I too, like you was very shocked and, and I just sort of struck me as like, okay, I know James. And that's not James acting like that. And I get, it's a tight game, but he's been in plenty of them. And I, I don't know in that situation, in that extreme weather, that's kind of where you're going to lose your cool a little bit. It seemed, it just seemed like a very odd situation all the way around, from Singleton to, you know, the offense kind of stalling and it being that kind of grind-out game to the way James reacted to everything. It just was a very strange game to me. Let's keep
1: with uh, Sean Clifford here for a sure. bit. As you mentioned, sixth-year senior. There are some folks who will say, We know what he is. We know what we're going to get. I don't like that attitude of, oh, well, that's Sean Clifford, and Sean Clifford's going to Sean Clifford. You have a bye week here. What are you working on with him, Andy? What are you trying to get out of him for improved play, especially over the next few weeks?
2: Yeah, I think he's been, you know – with a running game, you know, they're they're averaging, a, you know, by about 190 yards a game rushing. Boy, is that up. That is a massive help to a quarterback like Sean Clifford, right? So, I, I mean, the only thing I'm working on is is maybe working on, like I said in quarter number one, I think he needs to be a better passer in that mid-to-deep range ball because I think they have some receivers who can flourish in that zone but it just doesn't seem like he gets the ball there to them, uh, you know, In a and, and deep balls seem to be overthrown, overthrown and overthrown. I mean, that's kind of the MO like, Oh, they're taking a shot. And then when it's overthrown, you're like, yeah, that's not a surprise. And I think he can. I think he needs to really work on that. Other than that, like his decision-making where he's going with the ball, I, I think it's all been really good. I mean, he's, his completion percentage is good. He's got a 1,000 passing yards, nine passing touchdowns, four rushing touchdowns. The offense is kind of balanced and averaging 34 points a game. I mean, I don't know what more you ask out of a quarterback than that. I really don't.
1: Well, I what I'd like to see, Andy, I like when he gets the ball out quick, doesn't have to make too many reads or get happy feet back in the pocket. And the other thing, I think he needs to be a threat to run the ball. I think it would help the running backs also if the defense has to be aware that he might keep the ball. All right, Andy, that's it for quarter number two. Stick around, quarter number three. Yes, we are going to ask Andy. Stay tuned for that.
3: New Trail Brewing Company proudly crafts their beers right here in central Pennsylvania. Brewed with only the best possible ingredients, Newtrail produces a variety of year-round brands, as well as weekly experimental recipes. And next time you're watching the game with friends or by the campfire, pick up the Newtrail Hoppy Variety Pack. Newtrail's Hoppy Pack is an absolute crowd pleaser, Packed with four different hoppy beers, it's sure to please everyone.
1: for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love.
0: We are Tech Results, located right here in State College. We specialize in providing assistance with many third-party software suites. Our clients include doctor's offices, lawyers, construction companies, and even hairdressers. We provide help with their industry-specific software. Learn more at techresults.com. That's T-E-K results.com. Or give us a call at 814-206-0000. Welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show, brought to you by New Trail Brewing Company. New Trail beers are brewed right here in central Pennsylvania and delivered fresh and cold to your favorite retailers every week. When you're in Happy Valley, be sure to find New Trail at WR Hickey and other craft beer retailers. Hello
1: and welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is quarter number three. I'm Jim Galante. He's Andy Shea. And it's time for Ask Andy. This is where we take your questions and we ask them of Andy. And Andy will pick a best question at the end. You'll get the KSN polo shirt. So you get rewarded for your effort. And Andy, we've been away from the Ask Andy for a couple weeks now. Are you all ready, sir?
2: I am ready, sir. Let's go. Let's all do right, it. right,
1: let's do it. Let's start with Patrick from Cheshire, Connecticut, who says, With all of these coaching spots opening up, what are the chances that both Manny Diaz and Mike Yursich are here again next year? Not trying to skip over this season. But I think of what we can do if we could keep both of them, the team could be pretty special in the next two years.
2: Yeah, so that's a good question, Patrick. But I don't think Mike Yersich is a head coach candidate yet. I, I really don't. Um, I still think he's got more to prove on on a different level as an offensive coordinator. Obviously, Manny Diaz has head coaching experience at the universe, at Miami. So he's a more likely candidate to be a head coach. So it comes down to – so the interesting thing in college football is, is Manny Diaz a candidate to be a head coach somewhere? Yes. But is Manny Diaz a candidate to be a head coach at somewhere where he fits? Right? Like his – every coach has a style of head coaching. For example, do I think Manny Diaz would be a candidate for the Wisconsin job? No, Manny Diaz is not a legitimate candidate for the Wisconsin job. You heard some talk about him for the Nebraska job, possibly, but it depends on what programs are open. But I really think a little bit the way it kind of went down at Miami at the end, and this was none of Manny Diaz's fault, I think he needs at least a couple years as a coordinator to sort of, you know, re-establish his the, the coaching chops that we know he already has right and i think athletic directors and, and boards and stuff that like to hire coaches like to see former head coaches that go back into being coordinators they like to see you know a certain level of production before they you know hire him as another head coach and are they defensive minded are they offensive minded Manny Diaz is a defensive guy so the program and what kind of program it is also matters. So I would say a percentage-wise, I think you have an 80% chance of having both of those guys back as coordinators if they and neither one of them being hired as a head coach somewhere else.
1: Um, I agree with you. I think you're such, it, this hasn't been this high-powered offense that would draw attention. I think Manny Diaz doing a great job. I think he'll be a head coach again. Yeah, I think, though, maybe another year here would be good for him. He could wait around for a top job. Do I let's, think you're as a head coach
2: in the future? Yes.
1: Let's move on, Andy. Let's get to Kevin in Waterloo, in Twi- Ontario, Canada. Hi, guys. Been listening to you almost since your start. Love the insights from the KSN team brings each week. As a longtime Penn State fanatic, I saw my first game in 1974. I was intrigued by comments Mike Yursich made last year about seeing old Penn State plays sketched on papers in his comments that while the plays today have evolved, many of the fundamentals and schemes remain the same uh, from before. Having watched the team run the ball effectively in the past couple weeks using two tight ends and three backs and goal line packages, I was wondering what, if any, effect you think this may have had on him. I think he means seeing the old yeah. Penn State films.
2: So looking at the old Penn State stuff and you know the way they did it, that's a that's a very intriguing question, Kevin. It so in when it was running the ball, right? The the, the primary thing was to create a powerful running game, right? That was in, you know, in the seventies you threw the ball, but you threw the ball to, you know, change the game. You didn't throw the ball as part of the game offensively. You ran the ball to make your offense function right, and that was about creating mismatches. That was about winning like three on uh, four on three battles and three on two battles in a certain you know target area where you're going to run the play. It was about creating a numbers advantage for the offense against a certain defense, and could you get them? in their, either their base defense or when they switch to defense? Could you get a four blockers-on-three-defenders matchup with a running back going there? He, I think what Jursich was talking about was, I found that if you go back to it, it was about creating matchups inside that little box where the attack zone is. I really do. I remember that comment. I remember thinking, yeah, it's all about figuring out how you get three-on-twos or four-on-threes on where you're attacking the offense. And he's done that much better this season.
1: Okay, Andy, let's move on to uh, well, by the way, one last note on that question I want to point out. Joe Paterno used to always say there's nothing new in football. Okay? Right. Everything new is old. You if you go back far enough, you you could uh, you could see it. Let's go to Louie from Dallas, PA. He says there's been a lot of buzz about Drew Shelton specifically at left tackle. He's the true freshman. With the question marks at right tackle, is there a chance Shelton sees time there, or is there a significant difference in technique between the left and right tackle positions? Thank you.
2: Yeah, there are differences in the technique between the left and right tackle. That is clear. I don't. I don't think you want to. So I was told. I, I still believe in this. I was told by. Uh, one really good reliable source that an offensive lineman comes into an FBS power five program and you want to do everything you can to give that young man 15 months of runway. In other words, 15 months of him to grow and develop before you want to put him on the field. There are some rare exceptions to the norm, but that in the offensive line position is true. And I don't think, with the two and the the two players at right tackle that they're rotating, it's becoming a little bit less of a sore spot with each passing week. Now, going into the next three games, we're going to learn a little bit more about Caden Wallace and Bryce Huffner rotating and playing right tackle, but it is becoming less of an obvious sore spot. They're fine at left tackle. Maybe Shelton would play if you know if Fashanu got hurt, maybe. Would they switch and go Efner and Wallace at the two tackles? That's for them to decide. But in the ideal world, you want to give your freshman fifteen months, and there is a big difference between uh, technique wise and how you between left tackle and right tackle. Good
1: question, Louis. I think the issue more than right and left tackle, though, is what you started out with, Andy, and finish with. It's a true freshman you're talking about. Right. That's that's a big leap, especially when you're talking. Big Ten schedule and what you're going to see over the next several weeks. Uh, let's go to our good friend Steve in Potomac, Maryland, who says, Is Manny Diaz a, an upgrade over Brent Pry?
2: Oh, uh, no. All's Manny Diaz. Manny Diaz is a different type of coordinator than Brent Pry. Brent Pry was a really good defensive coordinator. And Manny Diaz is a really good defensive coordinator. They just coordinate a defense and run it differently. I don't think one is better than the other or one's better for Penn State than the other. I just think Manny does it differently and Manny does it the way he does. I don't think one is an upgrade or one is a downgrade over the other. I truly do not.
1: I'm going to take a little different take on this one, Andy. I do think Manny Diaz is better. And let me, let me tell you why. It doesn't mean Brent Pry is a bad defensive coordinator. I'm not saying that at all. I think their two styles are very different, and it's very obvious how they are different. But I think what Manny Diaz and his type of defense, when we start seeing them play against a Michigan and an Ohio State, those higher-level teams, I'm not sure doing what Brent Pry does will work when you're up against probably more talent on the field than what you have. I think Manny Diaz, and we're going to talk more about this in in the fourth quarter with uh, Nate Wilmot, who's going to talk about havoc plays. I think when you're you know fighting up a weight class, is what I'll call it, against Michigan and Ohio State, I think you need to take some of those risks. I think you need to confuse a quarterback. You need to go for a knockout punch where Brent Pry's defense, if he has superior talent, I think that might be the better route. But when you have to go against those kind of teams, I I think I'll take Manny Diaz. Uh, Let's see. Okay, we've got time for another one. Let's go to Steve in Columbia, PA, who says, Andy and Jim, Let me first say, I bleed blue and white, and I have respect for Sean Clifford. Uh Uh-oh. When Uh someone starts that way with respect, Andy, you know what's coming. He's given everything he has, but it's not enough. Let's be honest. Clifford, uh, you know, isn't going to turn into a prince in the next two months. I hope I'm wrong, but we aren't going to beat Michigan or Ohio State. He says, but let's give Clifford the opportunity to prove many of us wrong, but if we have two losses— the 2023 seasons begin. The 2023 season begins as Drew Aller should start against Indiana and finish the season and the bowl game as our quarterback. What do you think?
2: No, no. I mean, I you know it, they're punching up a weight class when they play Michigan. They're punching up a weight class when they play against Ohio State. Can Sean Clifford be an effective quarterback? in those games. I think you have a better chance of him being an effective and efficient quarterback. Cause he knows a little bit more exactly about what they're in for. than drew Aller does at this point, if they lose all three of these games, I don't have a problem making a quarterback switch. Then if they go one and two or two and one, that two and one means no one and two is a very debatable topic, but I, I, I don't think you can be a two-loss team. If you're a two-loss team after you play Ohio State and you've got Indiana coming up, I, I, I don't see how you abandon ship and say, now the season is lost. I really don't.
1: Andy, I'm in agreement with you. A two-loss season means you can still win 10 games, win double figures, go to a New Year's bowl game. Hey, 10-2 and two could get you to the Rose Bowl, possibly. So I have no problem with uh, them sticking with Sean Clifford. Third loss, Andy, you're right. Quickly, we need a winner.
2: Louie. Well okay. done, Louis. Louie,
1: Louis will be getting in touch with you. Stick around. We've got a fourth quarter coming yet. You don't want to miss it.
0: zero 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 welcome back to the keystone kickoff show brought to you by new trail brewing company new trail beers are brewed right here in central pennsylvania and delivered fresh and cold to your favorite retailers every week when you're in happy valley be sure to find new trail at wr hickey and other craft beer retailers and welcome back to the keystone
1: kickoff show it is quarter number four I'm Jim Galanti with one of our favorite guests, Nate Wilmot from ForTheBloggy.com. Nate's responsible for all those great statistical analysis work that we see at ForTheBloggy. Nate, welcome back to the show. Great to have you here.
4: Thanks, Jim. Great, as always, to be here. That was a very nice introduction. Thank you.
1: Well, hey, I don't say it unless I mean it, Nate. Love having you on. Love your articles. Really a fun one this week. Um, You take on Manny Diaz and what he's done with the defense, and if anyone's paying attention to the Penn State defense, so far it's been a lot of fun to watch, very effective. Coming into the season, everything we were told about Manny Diaz was that it was about putting pressure on, uh, creating disruptive plays, you use a statistic called Havoc Plays to measure that. Before we talk about what Penn State's done, could you explain what the Havoc Play is?
4: Of course. So this was originally started by Bill Connolly, who is now at ESPN, does SP Plus, was originally a Football Outsiders. And it is the sum of um, turnovers, sacks, tackles for loss, and pass breakups that a defense has as a function of um, – their overall plays in a game. So if you have 20 of those things in 100 plays, you have a havoc rate of 20%. Um, I, I look at it same way, but it, do total havoc plays in a game uh, as well instead of just the percentage.
1: Well, in looking at the first five games that Penn State has played, to the casual observer, it seems that Manny Diaz has done a great job in creating these havoc plays. What do the numbers tell you?
4: Yep. So since 2009, um, which is as far back as the site that I use goes, there have been 1,771 FPS teams. And Manny Diaz's team this year is fourth of those 1,771 in Havoc plays generated at 21. So they have been absolutely phenomenal. Um, A lot of that is driven by pass breakups this year, so they are averaging 10.8 pass breakups per game. Uh, Second in that same stretch is Oregon from 2010, who had 7.7. So um, far and away, like this secondary is absolutely killing it and and breaking up more passes than anybody in probably history, but I can only measure back 15 years or so.
1: Well, we'll we'll take that as, as a good thing, even just going back that far. So, again, watching them. As the casual fan, it appears that this has been the case. But if looking at this Havoc statistic, if you're rating, you know, an interception as a Havoc play and a pass breakup as a Havoc play, certainly there's a difference in the value yep. of them. An interception is greater than a pass breakup. So I found it interesting that you kind of you took this statistic and went a step further with something called the Havoc Index. Explain how what that is and how Penn State has performed with that.
4: Yeah, and when the Havoc stat originally came out, I, I was not particularly satisfied that you know a pass breakup is worth the same as an interception because you know a pass breakup at the end of the day is effectively just an incomplete pass, whereas um, an interception or a fumble recovery can be dramatic in the course of a game. So um, I developed the Havoc Index, which gives different weightings to different things. So uh, a turnover is worth one. A sack or a tackle for loss, which is certainly less disruptive than a turnover, but still more than a pass breakup is worth 0.5, and then a pass breakup is worth uh, 0.25. So you weight those things, and there, this year's Penn State team is still better than any Penn State team in um, recent memory. So they have a um, they have a havoc index of 8.2, which would again still be 24th best since uh, 2009 out of those 1700 plus teams that I mentioned before, and you know the best Penn state team previous was 2018, which had a 7.9 and 2015, which had a 7.8. So, so really it's, they're doing a fantastic job. And like, we all expected this coming out of, uh, or coming into the season because this is what Manny Diaz's signature is, uh, the first game against Purdue, except for pass breakups. I don't think we saw a lot of it, but now the, everything is starting to click and they uh, getting turnovers at a higher than average rate. They're getting sacks and tackles for loss at nearly an average or slightly above rate. So, um, They're really hitting on all cylinders right now.
1: I know this doesn't come under the umbrella of your statistical analysis, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Manny Diaz is the advocate of these havoc plays, of these disruption plays. How much effect is it the defensive coordinator making this happen? And what is it that Manny Diaz is doing that creates this?
4: Yeah, so Kaduti will tell you what he's doing, probably that creates it. But I, I mean, I think it is in his history. So we've I've looked uh, at a number of of different stats of his time at Mississippi State, at Miami, um, and now at Penn State, and he has consistently outperformed his competition. So whatever he does to, uh, schematically, and, and that is that is for Kaduti to answer, I guess, more than me. But he has never been below average in this. So his teams are always, always generating this kind of disruption. So, you know, he's doing something and it's something very useful. Um, And at least we'll get to the efficiency bit in a second. But Penn State is also 10th in the nation in points allowed per game. So like it translates to what you want to see at the end of games, too, which is the defense holding opponents to very few points.
1: And the reference to Kaduti is Coach Caduti, who we will yeah. have on the show next week. He's going to be talking about the other side of the ball. He's going to be talking about Penn State's running game and how that's changed. You alluded to uh, scoring efficiency. Let's talk about that. It's great to have all the Havoc plays, but what you want to do more than anything else is prevent the other team from scoring. Mm-hmm. So scoring efficiency, this is number of points allowed per drive which I would think would be a tremendous measurement of the quality of a defense.
4: I think it is. I I prefer, um, I I like looking at points per drive just because it's, you know, some people will look at points per play actually, which is, you know, maybe too granular points per game is maybe a little bit too opaque um, because different games have different amounts of drives in them and things like this. But looking at points per drive um, this year's Penn state team is giving up 1.2 points per drive um, which is second only to the 2009 defense, which was very, very good at um, at 1.1 points per drive, and they're only allowing scoring on 21% of their drives. So if you compare it to 2020, which was we know uh, a little bit rough for the Penn State defense, they were giving up point 2.2 points per drive, so nearly double, uh, and allowing scoring on 36% of drives. So it really, it really changes the dynamic, right? When you have a team that is, and it's caused by a number of things so it's caused by the turnovers it's caused by the disruptive plays it's caused by Barney Amore um, pinning teams deep and have making them drive a long way to score points like there's a lot of factors that go into uh, limiting points and, and Penn State's doing it in spades right now
1: I'm glad you did point out the punter it seems like every game he's pinning people inside the 10 so that obviously is a factor on this and that may not be what Manny Diaz controls but the punter is certainly part of the defensive unit and being able to make it a long field certainly uh, has an effect on this statistic. You also talk about yards allowed per possession versus points allowed. Could you explain why that's significant?
4: Yeah, And and this, this gets to things like the punter. So um, in the article, you'll see there's a graph. That's got a trend line on it. It's got all 1700 plus teams. Uh, And for a given number of yards allowed, uh, there's a trend, right? That more, if you give up more yards, you're going to give up more points, typically. Um, But we like to look at the outliers of that trend. And this year's Penn State team uh, is giving up around 28 yards per drive. But again, only that 1.2 points per drive. A normal defense, an average defense that's giving up 28 yards per drive would give up closer to two. So 1.8 to two points per drive, which is... That's, you know, 0.6 points more over uh, the course of a 10 to 12 possession game. That's, you know, another touchdown plus that that this defense is preventing, whereas an average defense would allow. So, you know, you look at the, the Northwestern game last week, for example, um, that becomes a much closer game. if This Penn State team is average at giving up, um, you know, points per drive uh, when they're not they're They're far exceeding that. And again, it comes down to lots of things.
1: So when you talk about yards allowed, again, the example of the punter making it a long field, if a team has to go 90 yards, they could go 60 or 70 yards and still come up empty. And I guess the other part of this, too, is when you get a tough defense in the red zone, and we saw it again versus Northwestern, that goal line stand. Didn't matter how far Northwestern went down the field, they still didn't score. Finally, Nate, the last thing you talked about was overall defense and where this 2022 defense stands. It has good numbers compared to 2009. What are you looking for with the overall defense statistic?
4: Yeah. So so it's some of what we talked about in terms of efficiency. It's done slightly differently. And then there's also a metric that I have on ball control. So this is this is effectively yards gained and and minutes allowed for the defense or for the opposing offense to be on the field. It's, it's a relatively more complicated calculation than I have. Um, but preventing ball control, preventing scoring, preventing explosive scoring are all things that go into this. And, and Penn state right now is 66 best, um, since 2009. Now they're sixth in the big 10 right now too. The big 10 is full of really strong defenses. Um, uh, Minnesota, Illinois, Michigan, Iowa, and even Ohio State are slightly ahead, but um, all of those teams are in the you know top four percent of defenses since two thousand and nine. So they're all fantastic. There's going to be a lot of change to that over the next month or you know two months here as we get into the real heart of conference play, especially for Penn State. Um, but they're off to a great start. I think having a new coordinator come in only five games now. They have adapted to this system and are really excelling in it uh, maybe better than you would even expected. Yeah.
1: And the one thing, and we seem to hit this every time that we talk, whenever you have the statistics, there's always another question or you could go a little bit deeper. I think the fact that they're sixth in defense in the big 10 right now, those teams ahead of them have also had very easy schedules with their out of conference yep. schedule where Penn state hit Purdue early, a very good offense and they had Auburn as an out of conference game also where these other teams have not had that.
4: Yeah, I I would agree with that. Right. And and Auburn, I mean, they beat Missouri in overtime. They all, I mean, they should have beat LSU last year or last week. They're better than I think people gave them credit for after Penn state beat them 41 to 12. Uh, Purdue looked decent. I mean, Purdue stopped Minnesota last week. So yeah, I think you know they did have a couple of tougher games than the other teams. And um, October fifteenth in the Big House, I'm sitting in Michigan right now. Uh, October fifteenth in the Big House is going to be is going to be an exciting day for everybody. Yeah, exciting it, it, morning, I guess.
1: Well, and it'll be two top ten teams going at it. Unfortunately, yeah. that's going to have to be it for our show. Thanks, Nate, for all the great information. Remember, you can find all of Nate's great work at ForTheBloggy.com, including his article on Manny Diaz and his defense. Make sure you join us next time on the Keystone Kickoff Show.
3: New Trail Brewing Company proudly crafts their beers right here in Central Pennsylvania. Brewed with only the best possible ingredients, Nutrail produces a variety of year-round brands, as well as weekly experimental recipes. And next time you're watching the game with friends or by the campfire, pick up the Nutrail Hoppy Variety Pack. Nutrail's Hoppy Pack is an absolute crowd pleaser, Packed with four different hoppy beers, it's sure to please everyone.
1: For daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love.
0: We are Tech Results. Located right here in State College, we specialize in providing assistance with many third-party software suites. Our clients include doctor's offices, lawyers, construction companies, and even hairdressers. We provide help with their industry-specific software. Learn more at techresults.com. That's T-E-K results.com. Or give us a call at 814-206-0000.